The Kavanaugh Delusion and the Hillary Democrat. As the elitist enclave in Park City, Utah, otherwise known as the Sundance Film Festival, gets underway, two stories have made news. First, according to the Wall Street Journal, participants had to sign a loyalty pledge to ensure they followed the strict code of the new left. Second, a secret Brett Kavanaugh documentary was screening there with what promised to be explosive new allegations. A loyalty pledge? How about an apology instead? That their posturing moral superiority and high-minded principles is astonishing, considering how they treated Meg Smaker last year, with her documentary being shunned by the film festival and disowned by Abigail Disney. It's so shameful. This story should trail them forever, like toilet paper stuck to the bottom of their shoes. And when it showed at Sundance, people were floored by it, floored by it. Your executive producer, one of them, Abigail Disney, I know sent you an email saying it's freaking brilliant, freaking brilliant. And that was before the left wing started to freak out and say, not freaking brilliant. Um, This is about, quote, white savior tendencies, yours, I guess, um, saying that it's Islamophobic, that it pushes American propaganda, and that they, this is Abigail Disney's description of the backlash. I failed, failed, and absolutely failed to understand just how exhausted by and disgusted with the perpetual representation of Muslim men and women as terrorists or former terrorists or potential terrorists the Muslim people are. That was a failure of empathy and respect on my part, and therefore the gravest of failures. So, In no way does this film suggest all Muslim people are terrorists or potential terrorists. (laughs) It takes a look at one group that was accused of being terrorists that was at Gitmo and talks about the rehab center and the way forward. That's what this film does. Um, Were you stunned by how this Islamophobic narrative started to take over as soon as the film hit? Yes and no. And what I mean by that is, so you have to understand that the attacks on the film didn't start at, at the actual festival. Um, when people, after people saw the film, they, the attacks on the film started before anyone had seen it. And so, for example, the announcement went on, um, I think it's December 9th of last year, and the film didn't play until like six weeks, almost two months later. I think it was January 22nd. And so in that time, you know, the, the amount of, um, vitriol and anger that was directed at this film that no one had seen and no one had met me. Um, and it was really, really shocking because we'd done so many screenings before Sundance and we, with the Muslim community, with, with, we had guards at Guantanamo, we had MAGA people, we had, uh, really liberal people. We really did a lot of test screenings because we knew that this was such an important topic to get right, but also that the film was going to be probably attacked, but we thought from the alt-right. And, um, so we're preparing for that. But when the attacks initially came, I actually understood it at first. As documentary filmmaker and journalist Sebastian Younger put it, essentially, this was unbelievably unfair. There was so much cowardice on the part of powerful people. I was just, wow, what a coming together of ghastly things. Vengeful, petty, malicious people who don't really have a case and fearful, powerful people looking to protect themselves. It's grotesque. Smaker's crime was apparently being a white woman making a film about Muslim men. But you might think, she's a woman. Isn't she offered some protection as a member of a marginalized group? The answer to that is, not anymore. 
those days are gone. In just a few short years, mostly white women who made up the women's movement went from knitting their pink hats, gathering by the millions to protest Trump's win, to shrinking back into the shadows, ashamed of their whiteness and their privilege. Now the Hillary Democrats must be good allies, anti-racists, and totally down with the fast-moving rules of gender ideology. But the Hillary Democrats weren't only white women, and in fact, even women of color now can't get protection or victim status just by being female. They have to be part of an even more marginalized group. Just being a woman isn't enough. What happened to the Hillary Democrat? 2016 was meant to be the crowning achievement for the Hillary Democrat. Those who stuck by her in 2008, during the Benghazi hearings, the Monica Lewinsky scandal, the nonstop criticisms of her during Bill Clinton's presidency, and the early feminists who followed her leadership out of college and into politics that would eventually make the impossible possible, the first woman president of the United States. I was one of them. The more research I did on the life and career of Hillary Rodham Clinton, the more I came to respect and admire her. I made videos, I fought hard on Twitter with Trump supporters and Bernie bros. I wrote essay after essay on Medium to boost enthusiasm. Videos like this. Her graduation day in May 1969 was to give her her first taste of national limelight. She and the other leaders of her year were pressing the authorities to let a student speak at commencement, the graduation ceremony. Initially, we were rebuffed um, when we went to Ruth Adams, who was the president, and the other people who were involved on the college campus. And uh, even though we were told no in the beginning, we just kept pushing. Ruth Adams agreed to let Hillary speak, provided the students assured her the speech would be appropriate. We were giving her assurances. We were saying, of course, we're going to be responsible and constructive. We had the message loud and clear that um, uh, she did not want any trouble over the speech. She could say what she wanted, and she did. But it wasn't what you expected. No. <laughs> no. I was a bit slack it, I must say. The senator spoke pretty traditional in his attitudes about what women's roles would be, and almost a warning to us to be good citizens in a, in a modest, quiet, appropriate role. And then Hillary arose, and you could see her shift her papers around, and you wondered what was up. She was so angry at what he had just said that instead of delivering her speech, which she had written out, she started talking about what he had said, and it was entirely ad hoc. She said something like this, I am compelled to comment on uh, uh, Senator Brooks' speech because it just raised sort of everything that is wrong about where American government is going. And this is what our leaders have been feeding us for years and years, and her generation wanted much more. Hillary got a standing ovation from her classmates, a cold shoulder from some parents, and a write-up in Life magazine. We saw Hillary Clinton become a senator. Her fate was no longer tied to being first lady. She was readying herself for a presidential run. We all expected it, and eventually we would demand it. As we headed toward 2008, with 9-11 a distant memory, 
the Hillary Democrat had been tinkering with their self-esteem cocktails to become empowered, responsible citizens. We were good people doing good things, trying to make the world a better place. It was supposed to be Hillary's clear shot at the presidency until a young, charismatic senator named Barack Obama entered the race and split the Democratic Party in two. The Hillary Democrats stayed loyal, fighting viciously to stop Obama and ensure Hillary's rise. But Hillary Clinton lacked charisma, and Obama was about to forever change America in ways she could never have. The Hillary Democrat had to suck it up and get on board with the Obama coalition. He helped by making her part of his administration, the Secretary of State. By the end of Obama's second term, he had chosen a clear successor. No, it wasn't going to be Uncle Joe. Too white, too male. It was time to follow up the first black president with the first female president, and it was Hillary's turn at last. The Hillary Democrat readied for battle. By all accounts, she couldn't lose. Bernie Sanders decided to run against Hillary, which all but assured the Democrats would lose in 2016. He was a populist in the right place at the right time, but the Hillary Democrats saw him as a clear and present threat to be eliminated. It wasn't easy, but eventually Bernie was forced to drop out and try in vain to convince his supporters to vote for her. But the damage was done. Most of them now saw her as a corporate shill, and there was no coming back from that, especially with Trump representing what was left of populism. When it looked like Trump had the nomination in the bag, a Teflon candidate who wasn't afraid to say what he really thought about the establishment, the Hillary Democrat began to have deja vu, charisma again. She might have had a shot against Jeb Bush's milk toast demeanor, but Trump? Nothing could prepare the Hillary Democrat for the loss in 2016. It wasn't just traumatic, it was the beginning of the end. None of us knew that, of course. We had come so far, and it was snatched away by a guy who, according to the left, bragged about sexual assault on tape. But really, so much of what we believed was true was a delusion. We went along with these exaggerations because they served our political ends. But how much of it was really true? And how willing were we to abandon reality just to win an election? What we knew about Trump was that he, like Bill Clinton, was an attractive playboy and women lined up outside his door. That was a narrative that would have to be eliminated. But in pushing something that wasn't entirely true, we sacrificed much of our credibility. Me Too. I was in the eye of the hurricane when the Me Too movement hit. Trump had written off the Access Hollywood tape as locker room talk, but the New York Times wrote a piece collecting confessions by professional women of sexual assault in the story, quote, for many women, Trump's locker room talk brings memories of abuse, end quote. Mine was one of them. Quote, Sasha Stone, an entertainment journalist, told of being forced to perform oral sex on a man after he offered me a ride home and then threatened me. I was 14, end quote. Now I could define myself as a survivor of assault, and for a time that offered me protection online. I was seen as a victim, even though I was never all that comfortable in that role, which meant I got a lot of attention and soothing words 
And online, that's the primary motivator for having victim status. You're treated better, special even. Those of us who had told our stories were characters in a fairy tale, gifted with magic powers to change the past, to destroy lives in an instant, because there was a strict code to believe women. I was required to be a good soldier for the righteous cause. We marched by the millions. We shouted, me too, after the Weinstein allegations went public. But I was already at war within. I could feel the truth pushing its way through the delusion. I wanted to see things the way my friends and family did. I forced myself to go along with it, thinking it was better in the long run to stop Trump. But deep down, I knew Trump's conversation with Billy Bush was meant to be funny. I could hear it in his tone, that it wasn't to be taken as gospel. But that is how it was interpreted. But to go against the tide on this, or anything else, where Trump was concerned, was social suicide. The Access Hollywood tape was meant to be an October surprise. It hit just before the election and was meant to sway voters and help Hillary win. But it had the opposite effect. It seemed to give Trump more, not less, support. Probably because any sane person could see that so much of it wasn't true, or at least was exaggerated. When Trump won, however, the hammer came down. There was to be no more negotiating. The Hillary Democrat had had enough. Our hearts were broken, our hopes and dreams crushed. Now there would be hell to pay. Nothing better illustrates where we came from and where we landed than the rise and fall of Louis C.K., one of the strongest advocates for Hillary Clinton and one of the best reasons to support her was his description that she was a mom and she was tough. Now, Louis, I'm not doing my job if I don't ask you about the election. It's yeah. just a week away. Uh, you want to talk about it? Uh, who are you supporting? Uh, I'm going to vote for Hillary because yeah. uh, I... And it's stupid to say because I'm a performer and so I'm splitting my audience in half, but uh, I think she's great. It's not a like a lesser of two evils. I think she's great. I really like her. I think she's really talented and I think she's super smart and I think she's done this for, I, I would take her over anybody. There really isn't some, it's not because between the two of them, I would take her over any, anybody else that would do it. Um, and to me, it's really exciting to have the first uh, mother in the White House. That's what I think this is. It's not about the first woman, it's about the first mom. Now what is it about, about a mom? Because it's... a mother, she's got it. A mother just does it. She's got your, she, she, she feeds you and teaches you, she protects you, she takes care of A father, we've had 240 years of fathers. Yeah. Father yeah. after father, bald father, fat father, every kind of father. <laughs> And fathers are okay, I'm a father. Yeah. You're a dad, you're a dad. Yeah, yeah. We, a, fa a great father can give a kid 40% of his needs, top. <laughs> top out of 40%. Tops out at 40%. Yes, yes. Any mother. That's, that's optimistic. That's yeah. optimistic. Yeah. Any mother, uh, just a <laughs> mother, like just a not even trying mother, 200%. Like she can't, <laughs> mothers, mothers do too much. Like at, what's the last conversation you had with your mom was probably, mom, all right. Yeah. It's enough. Like yeah. they just, eh. They just keep. So to me, she's like, it's exciting to think about. I'm excited about this election because she, I don't want it to be the other guy just, look, if you vote, I'm not, I have no problem when anybody votes for Trump if that's your ideology. Uh, you know, although four more years of this, I don't know if we can do, because this is four more years of a guy who can't 
be uh, criticized. What's more important than a, about a president than that you can all over them? That's what presidents are for. Yeah. I guy sucks. Like that's the point <laughs> of the president is to get drunk and blame them for everything, everything and yes. accuse them of. This guy, every time he's criticized, everything stops and he makes everybody pay. Yeah. That's not how it works. We need somebody who can take abuse. Yes. Hillary yeah. Clinton can take abuse. She's been taking it and taking it. This is what's been going on. We've been hazing her. We've been holding been her down and spitting in her mouth and yelling at her. And she just gets up and goes, well, I just think that if uh, children have proper health care and an education, she just keeps working. Yeah. So I'm totally uh, for her. Now, Louis, you have... Once accused, Louis C.K., like so many others, was banished to the outer regions and must offer his comedy as contraband to any consumer still willing to pay money to an exile. It didn't matter that he was a good ally and a Hillary supporter. It didn't matter that he had his own version of what happened. It only mattered that he was accused and thus guilty. Although much of it is now a blur, we can't forget just how much our country changed in the wake of Me Too, how lives were destroyed with no due process, and how most of us went along with it thinking it was a much needed reckoning, and maybe it was at first. For podcast listeners, we're looking at a graphic from the New York Times. Me Too brought down 201 powerful men. Half of their replacements are women. Eventually, the Me Too movement became nothing more than a witch hunt. We all became a virtual pitchfork mob, pressuring those in power to enact justice by subverting due process and following the dictates of our collective hysteria. I know I'm not supposed to use that word. It was a catch-all to describe any complaints or laments by women centuries ago, but there is no better word. How can we describe what happened to Al Franken any other way when Chuck Schumer, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and other members of the Senate pushed him out without giving him due process he asked for? How can it be anything other than hysteria when stories of bad dates wrecked the careers of people like Ansel Elgort and Aziz Ansari? Hysteria via social media is like a game of telephone. The stories intensify as they pass from person to person. But probably no one got hit harder than Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh was cast as an evil rapist in our ongoing melodrama. For the Hillary Democrats, it felt like one last gasp, an insurrection of sorts to stop the inevitable overturning of Roe v. Wade. We were willing to abandon the truth to serve what we believed was a higher purpose, doing whatever it took to stop time. But in replacing a delusion for reality, we ultimately paid an even higher cost. Nothing we did stopped Trump from appointing Kavanaugh, and Roe v. Wade was overturned. It's left us all with a shameful legacy of a hysterical mob that banged on the doors of the Supreme Court and carried out an ongoing dehumanization campaign against not just Kavanaugh, but Clarence Thomas and Amy Coney Barrett. There doesn't seem to be any bottom to any of it. Take away our power and we will destroy your life. On Monday, I stood in front of your office with Annie Barkin. I told the story of my sexual assault. I told it because I recognized in Dr. Ford's story that she's telling the truth. What you are doing is allowing someone who actually violated a woman to sit in the Supreme Court. This is not tolerable. You have children in your family. Think about them. I have 
children. I cannot imagine that for the next 50 years, they will have to have someone in the Supreme Court who has been accused of violating a young girl. What are you doing, sir? I was sexually assaulted and nobody believed me. I didn't tell anyone and you're telling all women that they don't matter, that they should just stay quiet because if they tell you what happened to them, you're going to ignore them. That's what happened to me and that's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter, they should just keep it to themselves because if they have told the truth, you're just gonna help that man to power anyway. That's what you're telling all of these women. That's what you're telling me right now. Look at me when I'm talking to you. You're telling me that my assault doesn't matter. That what happened to me doesn't matter. And that you're gonna let people who do these things into power. That's what you're telling me when you vote for him. Don't look away from me. Look at we me. Senator, I have a we right to know what survivors. your position is on Brett Kavanaugh. We believe that bless you, ma'am. Bless you as well. Survivors. I really we appreciate you. I'm a survivor of sexual assault, ma'am. I believe all survivors. There are now three people who have come forward and who have said that Brett Kavanaugh has attacked them. I know that you're close friends with him. Could you talk to him about that? Could you talk to him about his position? We believe survivors. 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 As if to illustrate just how dystopian our country has become at the hands of the left, YouTube's fact check on a simple search for Kavanaugh protests brings up Checked by USA Today, fact check, post comparing Capitol riot into 2018 to protest lacks context. Nothing that happened with Brett Kavanaugh was based on any kind of reality. It was all delusion, all imagined events we wanted, needed to be true. But even if Brett Kavanaugh did what he was accused of doing, held down a woman for sex because it was funny, or got too drunk and pulled out his wanker as a gross joke, are we really a society that says because he did these things in his youth, he is not qualified to sit on the Supreme Court? God help us if that's what we become. I once dropped acid and pushed my best friend in high school around in a shopping cart singing, hey, hey, we're the Nazis. People say we Nazi around. We thought it was hilarious. But to bring it up now as a reason my career should be destroyed is the stuff of madness. We must be a society that believes in redemption, in forgiveness, in leaving the past behind and allowing the justice system to do the rest. Times change. People change. The idea that Brett Kavanaugh should be persecuted until the end of his life as a rapist because activists decided he was guilty is not only absurd, it reaches the level of the kind of mass hysteria that drove the Salem witch trials. Did they really believe they could convince all of America to go along with this? Is Kavanaugh's entire life and legacy going to follow in Clarence Thomas's footsteps? 
where our Supreme Court justices have their legacies destroyed because people lost their minds and accused them of things they may or may not have done? The Kavanaugh protests might have felt right at the time, but already a few years later, they haven't aged well. For the Hillary Democrat, they look more and more like the last gasp of collective power before the world changed. Now there is no such thing as women's rights. Women alone aren't a protected group anymore. In fact, if they dare define themselves that way, they will be viciously attacked as TERFs. The Johnny Depp trial mostly put an end to the Me Too movement as the first time where a large portion of the public could say out loud a woman was lying about rape. Hillary doesn't seem willing to go away just yet. No doubt there will be a final act for her, and maybe for those who are still with her. But for now, the Hillary Democrat is just somebody I used to know. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com, and remember to thine own self be true. Tonight